Welcome to tonight. Has everyone got a drink? All got some food? How wonderful is this? It's raining outside and we've got a full house. Congratulations. Give yourselves all of a round of applause. Amazing. Who knew the arts was so popular? <laughs> anyway, my name's Beck Mack. I'm the MC for tonight and we've got a really exciting evening of conversation, questioning, querying and potentially some revolutionary change. Who's up for that? Bring it on. <laughs> so first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the land on which we stand, the land of the Yagara and Turrbal people, people that have been making culture and telling stories and being collective in community, in change, in process for thousands and thousands of years. I'd also like to pay my acknowledgements to elders past, present and emerging. So thank you for having us. Now, first of all, I'd like to thank, uh, welcome Penelope, who's here from Narva. Thanks, Penelope, for coming up. So, I we, Carmel and I were approached by Penelope and Paul, all the peas, at the paint factory. <laughs> and also, um, Fun the Arts, to have a conversation where we uh, can collectively come together and discuss and describe our issues, and at the same time, uh, maybe come up with some, some solutions, and then see with the upcoming election, what our local um, members, candidates, have on the table around arts policy, because often it's quite remiss. So it's wonderful that we also have this fabulous panel who I'm going to introduce you to. So I have the one and only Gordon Hookie. Give it up for Gordon! You! Superstar artist. Thanks so much for coming, Gordon. The wonderful Pat Hoffey, who is also, yes, another superstar <laughs> of fashion, art and life. And just for a uh, Pat is the Professor Emeritus of the Queensland College of Art from Griffith Uni. Also, as I said, P Penelope Benton, who is... Yes, give it up for P Penelope. <laughs> Penelope is the Executive Director of the National Association for the Visual Arts. Paul Osash, is that how I pronounce it? That's it. Give it up. Paul has a finger in every pie in this town. But he's also the, uh, the CEO of Anywhere Festival, which has uh, its 10th anniversary, 11th. 12th. Amazing. So, well done, Paul. Thanks for joining us. He's going to bring, so I reckon, what is it? Everyone on this panel is visual arts, but Paul is going to bring in the conversation around performing arts. So, you know, we've got to join forces, folks. We have to come together, combine our resources and take aim and fire. So, it's good to have a performing artist um, advocate on the board. On the board. We're the board of directors now, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, we've got wonderful Carmel Hoare, who is the program director of Christmas Projects. <laughs> now, we invited uh, a whole, I guess, every member who is the running candidate for the Moreton Bay area, and we've had some fabulous people to turn up. So we've got Graham Perrett, who here is the sitting member for Labor. Thanks, Graham, for coming along. <laughs> we've also got Claire Garten from the Greens with a fabulous blue hair. Um, we invited Stephen Hong from LMP and he had another event. And we have Chelsea Follett from the UAP. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to do a little preamble speech. Not a speech, I'm just going to like be provocateur and get the conversation going. So, 98% of us engage in the arts, 45% of us make it. Yet the majority of Australian visual artists and arts workers remain deeply concerned by income security, cuts to arts education, program cancellations, 
and reduce sales due to the ongoing impacts of the pandemic. So who in the room is identifies as an arts worker? And all those things, do they relate to you right now? Are you feeling any of those things? So this is a relevant conversation? Yeah. So as we know, Australia does not have a national policy or plan for arts and culture. We had two policies in the past, both by Labor, Creative, Creative Nation in 1994 under Paul Keating and then Creative Australia in 2013 under Julia Gillard. Both were short-lived. Recently I heard Tony Burke, who is the Shadow Arts Minister, talk and he said the biggest regret when putting together the present Labor arts cultural plan is that they focused on the cultural value, which of course is important, but they didn't look at the economic value and that's what needs to change. I'm going to say this is my personal opinion, not the opinion of the panel. The present government seems to be almost dismantling the arts. The cost of humanities and communication courses has increased by 113%, with a year of full-time study now costing $14,000, up from $6,000. Many artists couldn't apply for the JobKeeper pa package during the pandemic. And then, with the Art Rescue pa Package, $670,000 went to Lego Jurassic Park. I mean, hello. Call me old-fashioned, but that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here yet again to argue the value of ourselves as workers and as an industry in a creative sector. The creative arts is, makes a major contribution to the Australian economy, employing 194,000 Australians and directly, directly contributing 40, 14 billion to gross domestic products. The arts and entertainment employ four more times the amount of people as coal mining. So why do we have to keep arguing our value? I think that's number one question. And what do the politi political parties have on the table? I'm not gonna speak for you, but I know the Greens just put out their policy. Um, 10,000 artists and arts workers could receive a, a $800 a week, but how do you work out who those 10,000 are? So we want to understand that. I know that Labor's releasing its arts, arts policy on Monday, but it's remained very silent when you consider the enormous sector and industry and billions of dollars that generate from ourselves. Why is this silence? And we're dying to find out. UAP, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to hear about it tonight. <laughs> So we are joined by a fantastic diverse panel, and it is diverse because the arts is a complex ecosystem in which the, the needs are particular and precise. Yet I feel like we need to develop a clear statement of intent that encompasses it all together. NAVA is calling on federal election candidates to take bold action for arts and culture by committing to a whole of government national cultural plan to effectively invest for impact in the medium and long term needs of the arts sector. So that's what NAVA's calling for. And now we're going to all, I'm going to, our wonderful speakers are going to talk about their practice, identify where their problems are with, that they can see, and also if they had a magic wand, what could they change in the here and now? So at first I'd like to, uh, uh, to start with the incredible Gordon Hookey. Does everyone know Gordon's work? Amazing. Gordon is a legend and 
one of Australia's most important artists. His work, Murray Land, is a series of colossal, uh, uncomprising history paintings like no other work when it comes to deeply examining Australia now through Aboriginal eyes. Yet Gordon, after all his international acclaim, incredible work, purchase, is struggling financially. How can this be possible? One of our leading artists is still struggling financially. I want to start with that, and I'm going to hand it over to Gordon to describe what's going on for him in this moment, and how can we... It's like a national outrage, as far as I'm concerned, but I'll hand it over to you, Gordon, to talk about what's going on for you at the moment. Oh, thank you, Beck. I feel very secure here, being in between uh, Beck and Pat. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but I might ask you a question. What's the definition of a successful artist? Okay. It's one whose boyfriend or girlfriend works. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the mother of my two children have not got a job. And unfortunately, we are separated at the moment. Um, so if there's any of you who want to, you know, catch up <laughs> later, we could, um, you know. But anyway, uh, that's another story. Uh, but anyway, I do have kind of a place to live in that I'm in the doghouse at home, but at least I get to see my, my critters. So, um, And also, I've got a studio right here as well. But um, for me, in the arts, I've been practising now for 30 years. Can you believe that? Yeah. Well, over 30 years, I think, because... Uh, yeah, I'm 61 now, and I think I started work full-time as an artist um, uh, around about 80, uh, 87, 88. I remember the, uh, the big expo here. That's when I really... And I haven't done anything else but make art in that whole time. But here I am. I'm, I'm struggling as an artist, you know, like I've been living off an oily rag for such a, a long time and, you know, right now I do not have a place to live. I mean, I've been looking for a place. Um, I've been to probably 50 flats to look at and some of those flats, there are something like 30 people that are there for the, for the uh, inspection. And those people, they look a lot richer than me. Uh, as well, so I don't feel all that confident. And the saddest part, too, I, I just think um, uh, our present leaders do not see that as a crisis. I remember, uh, I don't even know his name, but the, the Prime Minister was asked about the rental crisis, and he said, the only way to solve that is for them to own their own home. Um, that's my Marjorie Taylor Greene voice, by the way, as well. Yeah, so, I mean, how the F artists that are struggling... Uh, people that are renting, you wouldn't be renting if you can afford your own home, okay? So, I mean, that's an example how our so-called leaders are so out of touch with the reality of people on the ground, let, about, let alone artists, because we are the ones that are, are, are really on the ground because what we do is not recognised as a real job. You know, um, and I've managed for over 30 years to survive as an artist, and survive is the operative word. I mean, I got sick of lying to Centrelink. 
you know, uh, they used to give you this form and you used to gammon um, applying for this job and that job and you'd ring around and you know, you know, you know your qualifications or, or your or access to that job is way out of reach but um, at least, you know, they paid you the next fortnight even though it wasn't much, you know, um, as well. But, uh, but you know, like... Like like Beck was saying, you know, like I'm making art for 30 years. I don't have a place to live, um, and um, I, I, you know, like I, I mean, at the same time, you know, I've had opportunities internationally. I've travelled overseas, and and it's like, uh, uh, you know, I, I got in a major show called Documenta. Uh, was it 13 or 14? 13, I think it was. But um, it was the first time where I've experienced um, life as a VIP. I mean, uh, I got picked up at the airport. Um, there was a guy standing there in a suit and he had like a placard with my name on it, Gordon Hookie. And I only seen that in movies. And uh, you know, I ended up in the car and they took me to the, the flashiest of hotels and stuff like that. And basically everyone was at my beck and call, you know, and uh, I was just treated so fantastically. In fact, all the artists were treated just fantastically, you know, like they deserve, you know, like we are the makers of culture. We are the mirror to society so that yous behave as humans. And um, we're not given credit or not given appreciation to that. The health of a humanity, of a society, can be gauged, I think, by you know, the way that society and culture treats its animals, but also, I think, how it treats its artists because because we, we will tell you about yourselves um, in the arts um, by holding that mirror up to you and a lot of times you will not like what you see. Thank you, Gordon, so much. Um, and it is heartbreaking to hear that, um, you know, a person that's dedicated their life to telling stories and, to, as you said, reflecting the mirror back to us is in such um, a difficult circumstance. What do you need right now that could support you, help you change that? Um, yeah, it'd be nice to have a roof over my head and um, perhaps a, 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 a sense of uh, security, a sense of uh, safety, and also a, a sense that, that I know that my two little boys, one is nine and one eleven, that they're going to be all right, that I can keep them safe and secure. If their dad cannot be safe and secure and feel and have a sense of well-being, uh, what hope have I got to ensure that, that my two critters um, have, you know, the same security and warmth that, 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 that I'd love to give them, you know, um, uh, as well? But look, all I can do is just continue as a practitioner because that's all I know. That's my life, you know. Um, it's sad that, uh, you know, the rewards um, for the work that I, I do is not forthcoming. I mean, let me tell you, um, I'm actually an industrial bricklayer by trade. I worked in Manizer Mines and made, I, I made a killing. I was making lots of money as an apprentice but also as a tradie. I worked for 12 months as a tradie in the Manizer Mines and, um, you know, uh, and I was making a whole lot of money. But 
as a, an artist, I worked a hell of a lot more harder than I ever did as a tradie for a hell of a lot less as well. So look, um, that is an indication of how the society and culture values us. And as you're saying, you're a dad, you've got kids. Like, this is the other narrative that's often built around artists that, you know, that, that they're irresponsible, that, they, that they're sort of, it's just a part-time thing, but you've invested your whole life in your craft and you're also a man that's got to look after, their fa after your family. So the stakes are really high on so many levels. And, I mean, obviously we need to find a solution to this because it's just appalling that um, artists like yourself are in this situation. So I think... Coming out of tonight's discussion, I think we should keep talking about how we can change that because it's just not, it's, it's crazy. And we'll come back to you in a minute too. But thank you so much, Gordon. We love you. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to talk to with, um, for you, Pat. Like, you, you and I were at QCA, believe it, in the 80s. Woo! <laughs> Queensland College of Art. I was a student. I think you're a lecturer there. Am I right? <laughs> it was that great. But it was a bit of a heyday for art college. Like, we were out at Seven Hills. It was in the Burbs. It was free until 1989, and that's when fees first kicked in. We had endless rooms of paper, massive tubes of paint, but it felt like you were there with a purpose and you went there every day and you spent the whole day in the studio and you were really committed to something that felt worthwhile. Um, and I think things have changed even much more since then. So, Pat, I know that you've, you would um, be good to just get your sort of, I guess, input into what has changed and what, uh, how has that also impacted working artists and the sector as a whole? Thanks, Beck. I'm not going to talk about that at all, but we can talk about that later <laughs> um, because I actually retired six years ago, so I'm interested in doing these things. I'll tell you, in six minutes, I'm going to be as fast as I can because I know we've got a lot of people to get through. So first of all, I'm going to tell you a story, then I'm going to tell you a history, six minutes, then I'm going to give you a few statistics, not too many, and then I'm going to suggest a plan. So the story first, and the title of the paper is called A Shift in Our Mindset because it's not all about money. Support for the arts is not primarily a question of economics, it is a question of values. And here's a story, it's a little piece of a story, not a whole story. It's about an older woman and a younger woman. My dear child, Nan began, never make the mistake of thinking that entertainment and art don't matter. They change the heart and they change the mind. They change the very fibres of our bodies and they change our souls. They give us big dreams worth dreaming and they fill our hearts with hope and the strength to believe that we can change things. And all the time you think you're just having fun, watching all that stuff, listening to all that stuff, being part of all that stuff, something else has crept inside you. And you may not know it, but you'll never be quite the same again. Phoebe was trying hard to take it all in. She slowly shook her head in wonder. Now, on to the history. And the title of the history section of the paper is The Shortest History of the Government Support for the Arts in Australia. <laughs> now, I want to condense it because 
unfortunately, we don't know our history. So I'm just going to give you three quick points. British economist John Maynard Keynes, an economist, argued that the arts were absolutely fundamental to a healthy society. He believed that the arts should be funded by government on the basis that they are what he called, in inverted commas, a public good. Absolutely essential. Economists speaking. Keynes was careful, however, to point out that funding for the arts should be conducted at arm's length from the government. And that principle underpinned the establishment of the Arts Council of Great Britain in 1946 and the Canada Council in 1957. This is how these things come about. Australia was much more slow to follow, but by 1974, the Australia Council for the Arts was operational. Two, in establishing this council, Prime Minister Gough Whitlam proclaimed, in any civilised society, in every, any civilised community, the arts and associated amenities must occupy a central place. The mandate of the OSCO, the Australia Council, was to develop and support the arts across this nation as an essential facet of the development of a national culture. In 1972, Gough Whitlam celebrated the centrality of the arts to the nation's identity and appointed himself arts minister. Yes. Number three, by the start of 2020, the Office of the Arts was eliminated and absorbed into the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Communication. The coalition government has now rendered the arts structurally and politically invisible. Now, many of you in this audience might think, well, how does that affect me, really? I can still make art, I can still write, I can perform, I can still dance, or maybe if you're not a producer, you might think, oh, I can still go to see art, or I can read or go to the theatre or watch films. Many of you might think that as long as cultural enterprises are still being funded, then everything's okay. Now, my brief presentation will argue that everything is not okay. It will give a broad argument that what this country needs most at this moment is a national cultural policy. One that values our collective and diverse natural cult national cultural identity. And how should we get there? We need a think tank that examines what we have been as a nation, what we have become, and what we could be working as a collaborative sector capable of driving this country towards a much better future. So let's think, where are we now? In Australia, the main federal funding for the arts still comes through the Australia Council for the Arts. Yes, it does still exist, but it's so substantially changed. How has it changed? Three quick points. One, since 2007, federal arts funding has declined by 18.9% as a proportion of the nation's GDP. Two, but even more importantly than this, the arm's length principle has been substantially eroded. Over the years, government, governmental bureau, bureaucrats have had more and more power in who gets funded, what gets funded, and where it gets funded. And the old pork barrelling question again, give it to my electorate. So how do politicians, do you think, see the arts now? Well, coalition politicians portray the arts as a lifestyle choice. 
and not as a vital sector that forms the imaginative core of our culture. But this flies in the face of federal government calculations that the cultural and creative industries contribute 6.4 of GDP. Now that's $111.7 billion every year and employ over 600,000 people. Lifestyle choice? It's looking a lot like a sector to me. So, how do we compare with other countries? Because we can sit here and think, oh, well, look, it feels all right to me. Just a quick, quick thing. In 2017, Australia was ranked 27th out of 33 OECD countries for its cultural expenditure. 27th out of 33. Do you know who the OECD countries are? Do you know what it is? It's the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. Austria, Australia, Belgium, Canada, Chile, Chile, Colombia, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, blah, 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 27 out of 33. So, okay, what's needed now? Any of us who've paid the slightest heed to the First Nations people of this country understand that culture is at the very heart of their relationship to country, to each other, to the past and to the future. Culture, the three C's, community, country. Culture, community, country. They all must be reinstated at the centre of the lives of all Australians. We know how vital they are whenever crisis hits, whether it's floods or fires or pandemics. That's when it kicks in. What this country needs is a national cultural plan that prepares the grounds for an Australian Ministry for Culture. We need a strong governmental recognition that culture is what binds us and that the arts are absolutely central to that. If we keep failing to do this, how do we know who we are as a nation, who we have been, what we could be. The arts must be at the centre of all government plans for the future. It's not merely about shelling out funding people. It's about enshrining the arts within government as the creative engine that can move us forward. What kind of thing, what might it look like? What might an Australian Ministry for the Arts or Culture look like? Well, for a start, it would include the arts, First Nations Art and Heritage, public broadcasting, film, and cultural heritage. It would be a ministry where information and decision-making are fed by grassroots understanding of what's happening and what's needed, just like it has been in the not-too-distant past. It was much better 20 years ago. And it would be centrally located in our legislative framework at the centre of policy-making. We must all take responsibility for caring for country and for culture. This means placing the arts at the centre of our thinking. We can do this and we need to do this to ensure our nation has a far more confident, creative and positive future. I want to leave you with a question raised by Joel Cost in her recent platform paper for Currency House. She states this. You know, Australia is the only Western democracy that does not have a bill or charter of rights for its citizens, nor does it have any human rights legislation embedded in its constitution. Could a charter of cultural rights ensure more equitable support for different arts practices 
and allows to move from a European traditionalist approach to one that's more Australian, that's more inclusive. More than ever, we need to know who we are. And just as importantly, we need to know what we don't want to be. The real wealth of this country is located in what sets us apart and what makes us special as a nation. And if you want to understand what that is, then I'll make a plea to all politicians, pay heed to the artists. Thank you so much, Pat. That was brilliant. Yeah, go for it. And I love the idea of the three C's and the Australian Ministry for the Arts. So I think that aligns very much also with what NAVA is driving towards. So it feels like there's a real congruency around our collective thinking here that there needs to be a governmental uh, policy, cultural policy that's driving us forward with arts and First Nations people centred to it. So can you tell us, um, Penelope, a bit about NAVA? Does everyone know NAVA? knows what NAVA does. And also, I guess, with this upcoming election, what your plans have been and, and where you're at with the campaign coming into the election. Sure. Thanks, Beck. First of all, thank you, Gordon, for that story and um, for sharing where you're at and Pat for that amazing history lesson um, and insight and um, vision. And for everybody being here, and hello, Richard, I just saw you come in. Um, first of all, for those who don't know, um, the National <laughs> Association for the Visual Arts is, the, um, is a membership organisation established in 1983 um, and it brings together all of the voices um, across the sector, across the visual arts and, and craft sector, artists, arts workers and organisations to change or improve the fundamental working conditions uh, within the sector. And we do that through advocacy, professional development, and um, our code of practice. We believe that all, all Australians would benefit immensely from ambitious, strategic policy investment um, and funding investment in the arts and culture in Australia in artists, in arts workers and organisations. And we have just released our, um, recently released our federal election campaign and it calls for um, five key policy priorities. And they are, number one, put First Nations first. The detail of that is a few things, but I, I'll go into it just a little bit. Um, that includes boosting the IVAIS pr funding program but also boosting funding more broadly. We need to um, invest more in independent artists, in First Nations-led organisations across Australia and across all states and territories. Currently, um, Tasmania receives no funding through the Aves program. New South Wales receives about 1.6%. I'm not sure it's similar in Victoria and nothing in the ACT. There's a huge amount of artists working um, remotely, regionally and independently who receive nothing. Um, we're also calling for the, um, uh, the adoption of the recommendations from the F F Fake Art Harms Culture Campaign as well as um, a recognition uh, and appreciation of ICIP, Indigenous Cultural Intellectual Property. Number two, 
is stimulate long-term sustainability for the sector and to do this through a national cultural plan as Pat has just outlined. Um, and this was the first recommendation of the current of the recent um, inquiry into the arts that released the uh, sculpting uh, national cultural plan last year. The third point is um, to pay artists for their work. There's lots of different ways to do this. NAVA has been calling for a really long time that public funding be contingent on the payment of artists um, at or above um, minimum standards as set by NAVA's code of practice and that funding levels be adequate to meet those payments. We're also calling for a bunch of industrial reform that includes tax, superannuation and the recognition of art as a profession by Centrelink. Number four, equity, cultural safety and accessibility. And this includes um, changing KPIs and funding to focus on impact as opposed to outputs. Accessibility and inclusivity quotas. Um, and number five is um, nourishing art education across from schools right through to universities and TAFEs. Um, investing in cultural courses, reducing tuition fees, and removing ministerial discretion over ARC grants. And so many more things need to be done, but that's a start. I, might, I know we've got a lot to get through, so I might finish up there. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. And Penelope, you did really well remembering all those. <laughs> and it's been a pleasure to work with you, and thanks so much for coming up. It's wonderful to have like the national NAVA, um, head of NAVA to come because it is a national s situation and issue and I think if we can broaden out of our little bubbles, we all live in our little cylinders, so we collectively join forces, I think we've got a lot more power in the game. So thank you for coming up, appreciate it. Now Paul uh, from Anywhere Theatre Festival, as we said before, uh, you've been um, working Maybe give a little bit of background for Anywhere Theatre Festival. Does it, everyone know Anywhere Theatre Festival? Oh, look, they're all visual artists. See that? We all live in our bubbles. <laughs> Just a little bit about the work you do and, ha and, how, um, and what you see the impacts of what's been going on over the last, since you started, say, 10 years ago. What's changed for the way you deliver your program and also the great outcomes for the community that you've, that you've realised through activating unusual places with art culture and performance. Okay. I'll give that a whirl. Um, first, first, I want to say thanks, Beck, and Gordon, Pat, and Penelope. Just in the way that you're, not just the way, the actual content of what you articulated there, it's, I mean, it seems like it should just be such a simple thing to get this going. Um, and yet it seems like the, the whole system is, is just, you know, broken. Um, and I do wonder you know, why. Why is this? Why is this the, the case? And I will we'll get on to anywhere festival and a little bit about it. Um, but the thought I, I did want to leave there is that it it does really worry me that it seems like there is at least a perception um, within you know, ruling governments uh, and federal federal government that. The sector—it's—it's it's not as if we are um, think that we are such a, a safe left left seat that there is no point even bothering to try and get our votes. 
uh, and there are two misconceptions there. One, um, there's a sector we're not, and also the amount of people that actually engage with the arts. It's across, you know, left, right, everywhere. Um, and it feels like that's sort of one of the big misconceptions um, that we need to fight against. Um, and then the possibly we get a bit take, taken for granted on the other side because they know that we're always going to, they think we're always going to vote that way. Um, I'll park that thought. Um, Anywhere Festival is a festival performance anywhere but a theatre. And in a way it really came about because for independent performance artists really felt that the existing structures were broken. There was no way that um, people could you know, try you know, a new play um, and put it on and actually have any way of, well, not losing their credit card um, balance on producing it. Um, you know, once they'd booked you know, a theatre and all, everything that had to go with it. So the whole idea of the festival was to create this structure so that artists could take creative risks without the financial risks. And that was all about going, right, we, what we'll do is we'll work with you know, businesses and, and the general community as well as council to provide free spaces so that that took out that cost. And then it was also about creating shows where people were using it very much as is. So that it became very much, as much as possible, about the idea of just the, the, the storytelling. You know, this idea of you know, yeah, sitting around a campfire telling stories. You know, that we didn't get sort of tied up in having to have a huge, huge budget for it. And that's, that's what really started, started the festival uh, 12 years ago. Over over the twelve years, um, it's it started here in Brisbane, and you know we've tried a lot of different things. Tried to make a model that would actually that would would work for artists. So it, it's always been about about the artists, um, and you know, we've done you know one-off festivals you know, from from here and Mackay and you know, Frankston, you know, uh, Parramatta, Wollongong, um, sort of all around regional Queensland and things like that. But one of the things that is really, really noticed, um, you know, it was still a thing 12 years ago and it's become, you know, a bigger thing now, is it goes back to what you said, Gordon, you know, what, what is a su successful artist? You know, it's someone that has, you know, a working partner. Um, and really get the sense that more and more what we're seeing, there's the real struggle, is to make sure that it is still possible for people to um, you know, create work because they're passionate about it and it needs to be out there. We need to have these stories being told. Um, that, it, that it needs to be done in a way where they're actually getting paid to do it. Um, but it really feels like more and more of the people are exactly in that situation um, where you know that it would not be possible um, if they were you know, you know, a single single unit, um, you know, and um, and don't have you know other other income structures from from you know a partner or something else like that. So I'd say that's one of the one of the big trends. And one of the things then, obviously, that does is the it really changes who can actually participate yeah. um, as artists. You know, because it's something where we want it to be something where we have. Uh, different stories for accessibility, different stories from different, you know, different people with different backgrounds. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we have this this mix across it. 
um, and that you know everybody you know, has the the best chance of actually you know, earning an income from it. Um, but it also is as representative as we possibly can make it of of the stories of of the community. You know whether it's you know at the moment the festival's on at the moment. I'm not going to plug anything, but it's the, the idea that you know the last few days I've seen. Um, a show that um, was um, presented by uh, you know, Chinese Australians. It was about uh, propaganda and censorship rules, you know, back in China in you know, 1940, to um, you know, two different stories of of people that were really talking about their their how they've grown up with their disability and how how the and, and connecting that to the community. Um, um, and and a whole whole range of different stories, but it's. It's hard. It's harder and harder, and that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, really, my my role. Like, I always try and figure out what I what I am officially, and like I run run the company. So you know, officially, I'm the CEO. Um, um, but it's it's really I really see my role um, as as the one employee in the company to actually um, um, do all the things uh, and manage and try and procure all those things so that we know that you know the artists have at least got the best chance of being able to you know produce produce work and then being able to see where that can actually go so that it's not just a one-off thing it is something where they go right you've, you've invested all this time creating this piece of work um, you know now you should present that again somewhere else and someone should pay for it um, you know, it shouldn't just be you know, just going to another fringe festival and another fringe festival that you have to self-produce it. Should get to a point where you know people are paying you know paying you to present this. Um, but that's something that um, seems to have really changed, um, and people just assume that it's a bit of this gig economy idea, where it's like you know I mean we've probably been there for a long time, um, but this idea well you know everybody's you know an independent producer. Um, you know, you've got to manage everything, you know, you know, from your finances through to actually, you know, the creation of the art, which is what you're there for in the first place. So, yeah, so that that's probably just gives a little bit of where where I come from and, and, and the people that I'm working with come from. Um, but, look, hearing what you were talking about... Um, it, yeah, it comes down to this. Yeah, there needs to be, you know, a, a national policy. It needs to be. It needs to be embedded. You know, it needs to be the the reconciliation and the you know, everything around. You know, the Uluru Statement. You know, connecting with with um, Indigenous people because that is so much of obviously what this country you know was and is and will be in the future as well. Um, and I, yeah, I do not know how to make that happen. Mm. Mm. Thanks, Beck. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> and just listening to you, it sounds like within your sector, it's definitely about survival and not thriving right now because of all the reasons we're describing. So it's across sectors, different economies, different like ticket sales over painting sales, like all different economies, but the, the underlying issues are the same. And that's why I think we've got to join forces to really create, get a seat at the table with the government, no matter who they are. And so um, I'm going to now pass to Carmel, a bit of transparency, we do work together. <laughs> um, and 
I'd just like, Carmel, for you just to, to talk about the experiment we've been involved in called Chrysalis and how, um, what the gap is that I guess you've understood that we're filling in, a pl in the arts where we both recognise the economy of the arts is broken and what you've learnt through this process around the value of art in place. Um, I'm going to be really quick because there's so many good things to talk about tonight that I don't want to take up too much space. But when COVID hit in Brisbane, Beck and I um, got together and drank some wine and came up with an idea that kind of consolidated a conversation that we'd been having for a really long time about creative placemaking and the um, possibility for new revenue streams to be accessed through the arts, for the arts, that benefited businesses, benefited the community. Um, and we set about creating a model that would create um, value, basically. And the first step, one of the first meetings we had was with an economist, and they set about really quickly crunching some numbers. When COVID had killed um, culture in Brisbane, they really quickly got some numbers together for us um, and Brisbane lost 1,800 jobs, which was... Has anybody heard of the economic term GVA, gross value add? Just think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. So Brisbane artists who lost their job, $148 million of gross value add to the city went as well. Then we got them to drill down into 4101, which is our hood, West End, um, South Brisbane. 270 jobs were lost in that month, May, uh, March, April, and that looked like $18 million worth of GVA for just for 101. So that was kind of the thread for us. That was like, okay, more than a thread. That was the anchor for us. And it's really interesting listening here tonight that the thread of this conversation keeps going back to value and what value can we contribute. So we said about developing a project that would create new revenue streams with artist-led projects in place. And the way we wanted to go about that was to create value, um, solving a range of business problems and business um, challenges at the time through co collaborations. <coughs> and our three main goals were to increase small gigs for artists energise local businesses and the precincts that we lived in and increase social, collect social connections meaningfully with art. Um, so what we learnt from that process was that we were um, um, taken on a journey by these projects and a symbiotic kind of approach started to appear. So the ecosystem started to appear and each project had its own economy, it had its own anchor, it had its own story to tell and we were kind of trying to hold on to these projects but they were kind of managing themselves and the community started to manage them with us and curate them with us and create the stories with us. So what that started to look like was and we did set about to actively research what the outcomes and the impacts would be for the project because we're sick to death of hearing these what are the outputs how many attendees you know these kind of like really lame ways of measuring what an art and cultural experience is and what cultural engagement is so we set about um, between the two of us trying to re 
reimagine what that might be and reimagine how artists fit into the systems. And Beck was doing a project, what was that called? The uh, oh, the Independent Artist Survival Series. Yeah, that in, and it was an international series of um, interviews with cultural leaders around the world and they were talking about the artists and the system changes that needed and we kind of turned it on its head and said, well, how do we change the system and what are we within that system? Um, so what we have found through that project is that it's all about co-opetition so cooperative collaboration, cooperative competition, not competition. Um, it's regenerative, so it's creating a shared value in the process. It's place-based and it's um, learning and seeding relationships. So I'm going to leave it there because I think we need to talk more about our superpower and um, our value and really be able to claim that in the next government. Thank you, Carmel. That was fantastic. And um, the biggest thing I learned from this project that artists solve problems and they solve them really well and they are the top-notch person to talk to if you've got an issue and you want to find a new way through. So we have an incredible amount of talent on this panel right now and in the room and so this is a bit of like the magical moment where we're going to say, if you had a magic wand, what was what say what would be the one thing that you could ask to be changed today within the way that the government is dealing with the arts? And I'm going to hand. We'll just do this quite quickly because we're going to um, continue the conversation. But um, Gordon, I'm going to hand it to you first. Um, I guess it would be just recognition uh, of value. Uh, that that we can offer or give uh, or, or show, you know, to yeah, communities uh, to this country, um, but but also uh, how we, you know, as artists can change people, can change thinking, um, can make you realise, you know, that uh, you need to have ethics, uh, you need to. Um, be able to put value, you know, to where it really is. You know, like uh, society culture just doesn't function, you know, on the bottom line. Yeah, it just doesn't function on the on the uh, bottom line. There are other intangible things that uh, that are at play. You know, that that make you human, or 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 just um, Make you connect with with people and and community, and um, it has to, you know, just so that uh, uh, we we function, we function um, in that um, we we look after one another, and um, and we're just able to live with you know um, you know a, an equitable equality of life, you know, rather than having this uh, major gap between. The haves and the have-nots. Um, I just think arts we do play a, a major part in in the, in bringing us, you know, together rather than uh, separating us. But uh, that recognition has to be there to 
to know that you know that, that we are contribute, uh, contributing in a, in a valuable a valuable way, but also that support given so that we can do that. So you know, if 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 I could change something, you know, if I can wave that magic wand now, I'd have a place to live, um, probably on the river, you know, maybe with the with the a jetty and and stuff like that uh, as well. Um, yeah, if I could change anything, you know. Uh, but, you know, like, a process would happen for me to do that, you know, for me to live like that way. Uh, um, the process would be that uh, there's due recognition as to what is valuable, you know, in this country and in this society, and perhaps uh, even, you know, in the world as well, uh, especially, you know, in a, in a world where where I believe, you know, um, our humanity has sort of uh, been eroded, you know, through whatever happened in the States, whatever's happening in uh, uh, Russia, Ukraine, um, throughout Europe and throughout the world uh, as well. So uh, I think we've moved uh, a long way from where we need to be. And, um, yeah, I, I know that uh, uh, as an artist, as a person, that uh, we, you know, play a very strong part in, in in bringing us back, I think, where we need to be. Yeah, absolutely. So the question was if I could have one wish. Well, I... Okay, thanks. So I think... I hope that I was clear in saying what I, I, I want is a national cultural plan that is put into place with the voice of artists with the grass from the grassroots experience of artists practitioners of all kinds not a bunch of bureaucrats and that on the basis of that national cultural plan which thinks about who we have been as a nation what we've lost and who we could be is then carried forward across the country and internationally through an Australian Ministry for Culture which puts culture, country, collaboration right at the centre of who we are as Australians. I don't think I can add to what Pat and Gordon have just said, actually. You, you got it. Mm -hmm. I'm on board. <laughs> Let's do that. Yes. Woo! <laughs> yeah, very much that. I think it's uh, all I want is that we know that there is the you know, community support for it. There's been so much you know, research about the value of the arts, all this kind of stuff. I just want the government to actually pay attention to it and put these plans in action. It's, mm. It seems quite simple. So I'm the practic I'm very practical about these things, and I'm totally on board. We need a national plan. We need we need a national plan. But what I would suggest is something along the lines of the art and place um, model and point. I had one percent, but I think point two five percent of every single budget line in every single folio from the federal government needs to go towards arts and culture agriculture, tourism, science, defence, you name it. 
every single folio needs to have a budget line for my since I've worked in the government for a couple of years and I know how these things work, 0.25 of a percent um, in every single folio that fed down into every single place around Australia, you would have critical thinking, you would have creative problem solving, you would have amazing social connections, you would have people voting in an informed, intelligent way and maybe it might just start to get us out of the mess that we're in. Thank you. Yes. We've got to start with the detail building out to an, a national cultural plan, as Pat said. And what my wish is that we get a seat at the table. You know, aviation has it, mining has it. All the industries have a seat at the table in Canberra and we have none, and that's a big problem. So I'm hoping that collectively we can join forces and build that opportunity where when whoever gets in government, we can come and see you in Canberra and you will have a conversation with us and we'll build this plan for a cultural plan moving forward. So um, I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing with us your incredible stories, knowledge and wisdom. Artists are the key to the way forward to the future. We need to be centred, First Nations artists first. And, um, and I also want to thank Paul Hay so much for having us. And when we discuss grants and um, government policy, Paul is a, um, a commercial independent human who has built this opportunity for artists to have their studios here. So that is a part of a solution, is that government works with, um, with private enterprise to build solutions for the arts. And I think that's really, really important that it's made easier, more accessible and more possible on that level as well. And also, um, before we hand it over to our, one, our, our candidates, I'd like to, who loved the food? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm gonna get your name right. Bunda Kitchens for Cara. Thank you, Cara. It's been amazing. And Paul has sponsored the food and the wine tonight. So thanks again, Paul, so much. It's wonderful. So we are now might um, sit in the audience. What do you reckon? Or who wants? How should we do this part? We haven't really noted that part out. Yeah, we'll switch seats. So. Um, Maybe if you guys go to the bar and the politicians step forward. Again, I'd like everyone to give a big round of applause for those fantastic artists. And especially for Gordon. We're going to find you a home, Gordon. It's number one, top of the list. <laughs> All right, so how do you feel after that? <laughs> So what, what we might do is um, go start here and go along the line and you can just sort of give us maybe um, a five minute insight into what your party's policy is, what your key takeaways are and what you personally want to dedicate from what you've learnt today. So I'm going to hand it over to uh, Claire Garten for the Greens. Give it up for Claire. <laughs> 
Thank you, Beck, and thanks, everybody. And, yeah, thanks again for the food. Um, I'd, I'd firstly like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land we're on tonight, the um, Yagara and Yagarabal people. Their sovereignty's never been ceded, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, so, yeah, um, my name's Claire Garton. I'm the Greens candidate for this area in the next election. And um, as um, I'm very moved by everyone's stories here tonight, it's particularly Gordon's and... Uh, he touched on so many systemic sort of problems um, with housing and, and just a whole, there's a whole lot to unpack with that, that, um, that maybe for another day. <laughs> but, um, but when it comes to arts, you know, we'd like to think that we, we actually, when we develop our policies, we do it in consultation with the arts community um, and give, obviously listen to them because, and you guys, because you're the experts, not us, when it comes to developing policies. So, um, and as um, Beck said earlier, we've just launched our arts policy, and so please excuse me because I have it on paper rather than um, in my head at the moment, but it's quite extensive and I encourage everyone to look it up um, on our website. Um, and there's like a, a summary page on the website, on the Greens website, but then you could also drill down into really more specific details. So I'll, I'll just give you a quick um, overview of some of the, um, the headline sort of items that are on in the arts policy. Um, and so the firstly, we're going to provide additional COVID recovery funding through the RISE Fund. Um, we want to establish a $1 billion live performance fund to inject money into Australia's festival music and live performance sector. We want to support the recovery of the arts industry with additional COVID recovery funding and pandemic insurance for live events. We want to grow Australia's local screen industry with a $1 billion Australian Stories Fund. Uh, we want to regulate the global streaming giants and require the services to invest 20% of the money that they earn from Australian subscribers to be uh, spent on developing Australian content. 20% uh, at this stage, yep. Uh, we want to establish a multidisciplinary creative commission with $10 million a year fund. We want to, uh, I already mentioned about providing live insurance for events, legislating a minimum performance fee to provide stability for live performers. Uh, there's a lot more detail than this, but this is just the sort of the headline sort of thing. Uh, okay, sorry. Uh, investing in arts education with the establishment of an arts school. So we want to have an artist in residence at all schools and um, public libraries. Um, and we, as you mentioned earlier, we want to have a pilot, um, pilot arts wage program to help 10,000 artists have a uh, creative uh, uh, pay per year. And you asked how, um, how we would select that. Um, the detail I have is that uh, it'll be based upon a model that's used in a lot of European countries already, um, and specifically the French uh, policy. And we will be prioritising First Nations leading that and also with uh, culturally uh, uh, diversity and making sure that there's equality in all of the funding decisions, including recognising the leadership of uh, First Nations artists and their cultural leaders. So, um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of detail and a lot of it is actually led by and, and encouraging First Nations artists, so, yep. And this is my question really fast. If you get in, how do we talk to you and how do you make shit happen for us? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I do everything 110%. I don't go halves in anything. I will totally listen to anybody that wants to talk to me and I'll talk to anyone. And I'd like to get in and stir things up in there. I think, you know, I'm, 
I think a lot of Australians are, are very tired of, of the, the, the stale old politics that's happening and the, the shoutiness and it's just rubbish. So, um, yep, absolutely keen to, to listen to people and, and advocate for them. Thanks, Claire. Um, now, Chelsea Follett from UAP. <laughs> I can have two, <laughs> whatever works. Um, yeah, so my name's Chelsea. I am the candidate for the United Australia Party. And um, the, the firstly, thank you for having me because I was really inspired by everybody on the panel tonight. And um, the arts is something that is really important to me. Uh, for me personally, it's performing arts. Um, I can't draw to save myself or paint. It, it, you know, if I paint with my daughter, I look like it's, she looks like the other, I look like the preschooler, but um, I do have a real appreciation for it. Um, I think the biggest area, we don't have uh, at this stage an actual arts policy, and I'm going to be upfront about that because I don't play games, but what we do have is, um, is a plan to uh, get rid of HEX, which I think um, one, of, one of the panel members mentioned about being able to study and having access to, to study in the arts for free and that you did have that at some stage, and that will open that up again. Um, the other thing is uh, somebody mentioned, I think it was... Um, uh, Pat mentioned about the Bill of Rights, and uh, that is a very um, that is very high on the agenda for the United Australia Party. Is in fact, I believe I've heard Craig Kelly say it would be the first item of business would be to introduce that Bill of Rights. So that is um, go going to go a long way uh, with assisting this sector, and I will call it a sector because I believe that it, it really does um, impact every area of our community. Uh, and the other thing is. Um, with paying down the national debt. We have a trillion dollars worth of national debt and we have a government who have very openly called the arts an unessential um, area, an unessential sector. Okay, thanks Chelsea. <laughs> and, and in answer to the question that you asked Claire, yeah. um, you, my door will always be open. So um, as somebody who has actually worked as a struggling, uh, both as a successful and a struggling performer, performing artist, although I must admit my success was when I had a successful spouse. Uh, <laughs> so I totally relate to that comment. Um, but as somebody that has been in that position and struggled through the arts, um, I would be absolutely honoured to work alongside you and get you that seat at the table that you so desperately need to further the industry. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Graham, over to you. Um, Thanks very much, Beck, and, and thanks for the chance to say a few words. Uh, could I also acknowledge the traditional owners and thank them for their strong and continuing stewardship, and particularly um, thank Gordon and Richard, who uh, were very kind enough to show Tony Burke around here uh, when Paul took us on a tour of this building. I uh, really appreciated that. Uh, look, in terms of speed, I could probably just get Pat to table her speech again because <laughs> um, that little bit of history just reminds you. A Labor Whitlam government brought in the Arts Council. Fraser wound it back. Hawke Keating, again, injected into the arts community. Uh, Howard wound it back. Rudd and Gillard, again, invested in the arts community. Um, Abbott, to a lesser extent, Turnbull, uh, but then Morrison have wound things back. Uh, I could 
benign neglect of the arts community perhaps is unforgivable, but Morrison has targeted the arts community, attacked the arts community, you know, like he has the trans community, uh, weaponized uh, funding for the arts community as part of some stupid culture war. We do have an arts policy. It'll be announced on Monday, but I can assure you, uh, well, I can tell you up front that there won't be buckets of gold because we do have a trillion dollars in debt. That much that Clive Palmer's candidate has said is true. But Labor's will always be provide funding for the arts. We know that without a without a soul, we are not a, we're in, we're just an economy. We're not a country. But I also know that we need to be able to engage with Asia, engage with the Pacific, uh, and we do that through trade and arts are a significant part of that that reach out to the Pacific and to Asia. We need to be able to engage with the rest of the world because there are some bad people, some countries that will do us ill, will do bad things for us, but we, we, the arts can play an important part of that, that outreach of Australia. We're a middle country, a middle country, a middle power, but we can do great things and artists can be a part of that. All sorts of artists, visual artists, performing artists, uh, we know that we can do that. And we, we ha we're a stronger country when we reach out. We're a trading nation. We need to have good relations with our neighbours. Sorry, that's, <laughs> that's to remind me to uh, <laughs> do something with my son. Sorry about that. Uh, um, and performing arts, if I can say that, from uh, with the, um, the church intervening there. Uh, we, we need to do much more for the artists. And Tony Burke would be an arts minister. He wouldn't scratch arts off the door, which is what the Liberal and National Party have done. So I can't believe you'd preference them ahead of me, really. Seriously, they took arts, <laughs> really, <laughs> really, well, you will, you will be low down, I can tell you why, because we don't, we actually believe in investing in the arts and making sure that we, uh, Australia uh, looks after our artists wherever we can and utilises them. Now, unfortunately, the funding has, a lot of funding has gone to the uh, uh, MPAG, uh, the Performing Arts. Queensland loses out there because we're the most decentralised state, mm. I'm sorry to say, but, you know, it's hard to get something done in Mount Isa or Cairns or even Toowoomba. You know, Queensland misses out when MPAG takes up that, that sort of Hunger Games type of um, funding. So we, we've got to get a better model and I can answer, I'll answer the, the, um, the question. My door would always be open, but so would Tony Tony uh, Burke's. Yep. Uh, I play in the the parliamentary band with Tony Burke. <laughs> uh, um, uh, obviously, he's the industrial relations minister talking about um, the minimum r minimum wage uh, today. Uh, that's a pretty good starting point for how we might look after the arts. So I'll le leave it there and give more time for questions. Thank you. All right, so maybe moving forward, we can all talk together now over wine and some beautiful um, food. Um, so it's been a really incredible night of conversation and the C words keep coming back about culture, collaboration, um, country and value. Thank you, the three of you coming along. It's really great that you've made the time to come and hear our stories and listen to the what are the details of everyone's um, 
issues in a way and good luck and may the best person who's got the best policy for the arts win. <laughs> um, and thanks to all our speakers. Thanks so much for Paul Hay for having us. Thanks for the, our beautiful sound people over there. Um, thanks for coming and let's keep this momentum going beyond this room where we're empowered, we're amazing, we're smart and we can change the world. So, oh, one more question. Here he comes. Let's give it up for Paul Hay. Listen, I'd, l I'd just like to thank everybody for coming tonight. Certainly the, the, pol the aspiring politicians. Uh, and um, it's, it's amazing to have you guys turn up. But it's also amazing. Thank you, Penelope, for choosing the venue. Um, I think we're blessed with amazing talent in Brisbane. And I'd like to think that we're the centre of this, some of this artistic talent here. Um, but it's nothing to do with me. It's to do with um, our artists, Gordon and and uh, Richard at the back there and, and many others. But we'd, we'd like to sort of continue um, enhancing that. I find this today's a really interesting discussion for me to hear uh, the government impact because we're actually looking at trying to do it in a private enterprise way. And I'm, I'm actually <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated because I don't know much about the, the arts funding government funding model side of it and people and I think Brisbane I, I think we are we're really really punching above our weight here um, and that's something that I've learned through the process of knowing a lot of these artists over the last 20 years anyway I'll talk all night honestly because <laughs> I'm so passionate about this project but um, thanks for coming uh, and thank you for a lot of our art there's a lot of our artists in dispersed in the audience here as well Bex included um, and Shah and Richard, Gordon, um, and, and a few others who are probably um, not noticing. Um, Alicia, um, so uh, thank you. And thanks for all coming. And there's no rush to leave. You can if you like, leave quickly. But there's party time. <laughs> 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 uh, thank you to Kara. Kara is just a hero uh, from uh, Cup of Bunda Foods. Um, this is the second event here that Cara has um, catered for us and um, uh, Ross Manning, who is, uh, the Ross Manning is to be celebrated for his lovely works at the back here. This is his studio, he's made these works here. Uh, he constructs them, this was a real mess earlier today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> I, said, I said I could talk for hours.